0: The Big Hit Show is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Convenient nutrition can now be as easy as drinking a glass of water. One scoop of AG1 contains 75 vitamins, minerals, superfoods, and probiotics designed to efficiently absorb into your body. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash TheBigHitShow. That's athleticgreens.com
2: slash TheBigHitShow. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. State Farm can insure your home and car with surprisingly great rates. Because you don't have to give up what you love for great insurance. They've got options. Like personalizing your policy with options to help you get a surprisingly great rate. For surprisingly great rates... Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today.
0: A warning, this episode contains a reference to suicide.
3: Before I met Kendrick, uh, we went to elementary together. But we didn't, we used to see each other around school. He was playing with the basketball every day, all
0: day, just basketball, basketball, basketball. This is Antonio White, also known as the rapper Cannon. He met Kendrick Lamar when they were both middle school students at the Vanguard Learning Center in Compton, California. They shared a gym locker. That's how they met. But they didn't really become friends until the day a massive East Coast rap hit brought them together. I was rapping uh, DMX in the hallway, uh, Stop Drop.
3: Niggas want to try. What? Niggas want to lie. What? You niggas wonder why. What? Niggas want to die. What? All I know is pain. All I feel is rain. How can I maintain? Well, mad shit on my brain. And then I, I was like, uh. And then he came out like, I resort to violence. My niggas who been silenced. Like, you don't know what our style is. New York niggas the wildest. My niggas is with it. What? You want it? Come and get it. It was like a freaking movie. Like, we was going around in a circle, just rapping right at each other. And after that, we started laughing. We shook hands. And that was it for us. And after that,
0: Cannon and Kendrick became a little crew unto themselves.
3: Because we had rapped so much DMX, we were just like, you know what? We should try to write our own rap. And uh, we was like, all right, bet. Today we're going to go home and we're going to write our own rap. And we're going to come back tomorrow and let each other hear it. So I went home. I did my thing. He did his thing. We came back to school the next day. He was like, you got your rap? And I was like, yeah. I was like, you got yours? He was like, Yeah. He rapped his, I can't remember the words to it, but all I remember is being like, what, what DMX verse is that? And he was like, DMX? He was like, nah, man, I wrote that. And I was like, for real? I was like, that's crazy. And I was a little nervous after that. So then I let him hear mine. And he was, he did the same thing I did. And he was like, he looked confused. Like, what DMX verse is that? I don't remember. I was like, that ain't DMX. I wrote that. He was like, for real? And we was like, oh man, we got we gotta, basically we gave each other confidence by doing that. It was like a brotherhood,
0: like a hundred percent. From higher ground, this is The Big Hit Show. I'm Alex Papadimus. In this episode, Compton's own Kendrick Lamar discovers his voice with help from friends, a middle school mentor, and a few rap legends. Years later, a tour stop in South Africa changes Kendrick and the new album he's about to make. Then, because the hero's journey is inevitably a circle, we travel from the city of Cape Town back to the city of Compton, where it all began. Chapter 2, Bigger Than Compton.
3: The birds are chirping, you know what I mean? Like, in my section where we grew up at, uh, it's pretty, you know what I mean? Like, it's, you got green grass, you got clean streets, it's not super run down. You do got graffiti on the walls, different neighborhoods
0: whacked out on the walls, crossed out, but you still got kids playing. This is Cannon again, talking about Compton, where he and Kendrick both grew up. What
3: happens is when you get into the inner workings of these different groups within the city, Uh, Within the neighborhoods, that's where you start getting into the stuff that everybody hears about as far as gun violence and fights and things like that of that nature.
0: The album Kendrick made immediately before To Pimp a Butterfly, Good Kid Mad City, is a South Central L.A. album. It's a Compton album. It conjures not just specific streets, but specific intersections. Rosecrans and Alameda, South Central Ave and El Segundo. And it puts you in the car, rolling past those corners. In a lot of ways, To Pimp a Butterfly is about those same streets, but it's about what it's like to leave them and change and then come back to the place that made you, the place that taught you how to see. He was always asking some kind of question.
3: It was one day when I was at P.E., he seen me take a big wad of cash and pull it out of my sock and wrap it into my backpack and then he was like, what the? And he had all this character when he said it. And he was like, where you get that from? And I was like, oh, man, I'll be selling candy. And he was like, wait, from where? Like, And he was like, the school candy? I was like, yeah, I sell candy and keep the money. And then he just was like, huh? He was like, how you do that? And I was like, I just do it. I just sell it and go get another box. <laughs> and after that, because of the way Kendrick thinks and the way he observes, He wanted to know more about my lifestyle.
0: This side of Kendrick, the observer, the witness, is the version of him that jumps out on Good Kid Mad City. Or at least that's how a lot of people perceived him early on. In songs like The Art of Peer Pressure, he came across as an artist who'd lived to tell his story and other people's by resisting crime and violence, but who'd been close enough to that life to understand its allure. But as Cannon explains, the city's territorial violence had a way of finding you. Good kid or no. (laughs) We
3: we were walking to the SWAT meet to get some t-shirts or whatever, and these dudes were like, hey, where you from? And I was like, I'm from Westside over here, bro. He was like, oh yeah, we from Anthos. And I said, so? And I just walked out, Kendrick was walking with me, and then I just felt Knuckles go, bah! (laughs) hit me in the back of the head, and I'm like... I spun around and clipped him on the chin, and Kendrick was like, hey, and he fighting with like two dudes. I don't know what came over us. We turned into like, wild Tasmania Devils or something, because we was able to beat up four dudes with just two of us, and we both short. Both was about like a buck 30, maybe a buck 40, but it was just, it was the adrenaline that just had us like, y'all not about to just fucking just pick on us and beat us up. Like, nah, it's not happening. And we got up out of there.
0: This was one reality. But inside the Vanguard Learning Center for kids like Cannon and Kendrick, who was known to the world and the Compton Unified School District as Kendrick Lamar Duckworth back then, there was another reality.
3: Our English teacher, he was young, he was cool. His name was Mr. Inge.
1: Right, so I met Kendrick, you know, at Vanguard, of course, in seventh grade. So he was around 13 years old.
0: Regis Inge was a youngish man then and had just started his teaching career. He would become one of Kendrick's first real mentors as a writer. He's the first guy to hand future Pulitzer Prize winner Kendrick Lamar a thesaurus and suggest that he choose better words. Um,
1: one thing I remember about him was uh, very shy.
0: Very shy, but
1: a uh, very solid student, though. He wanted to do well. Uh, yeah, he did have a slight stuttering problem, and then that caused probably caused you know, attitude why he was shy.
0: Mr. Inge says Kendrick was a solid B-plus student who clearly already had some real verbal skills. Talents that Cannon remembers him showcasing on one writing assignment in particular.
3: So this one time Mr. Inge, uh, he told us to do like a poem or just to write something of our own to present to the class. And me and him got excited. Oh, yeah, man, we're about to tear this up. Oh, man, it's about to be
1: on. Come on, Kendrick. Come on up here. He would get up slow, like put his little smile, like all right, all right. I'm gonna go up there. He'd be like, Shh. And then he started doing the thing.
3: He starts to pace a little bit, and everybody's like, "What's going on?" And then next thing you know, he starts to say these words. He starts off real subtle. He basically, by the time the poem was done, the whole class was like, oh. in awe and in silence. Like everybody was like, "Oh my god." This dude is crazy. And then they just start clapping.
0: Mr. Inge says he vaguely remembers this story, but says that the provenance of Kendrick's bars was not that important to him. This exercise wasn't really about writing. It was about speaking, expressing something out loud. It was the habit of getting
1: up, standing in front. Of so if you can stand in front of your peers, when they know that teacher is not going to have anyone laugh at you, then you get the confidence. And once you get that confidence, you can speak in front of 10, 15, 20, 100, 500. doesn't matter because the focus is on what you're doing and not how many people are looking. Because this is the most dangerous area for a child to speak in front of the class. Because their peers, oh, you'd have a teacher that doesn't come down on them if they laugh because Kendrick might have stuttered or something like that. Can you imagine what, what that would have been like? If I, if I let the kids laugh at him because he was stuttering, it would have been devastating, right?
0: All this is part of teaching wherever you end up doing it. But in Compton, Mr. Inge says, there were other, more painful aspects to the job. A teacher never wants to look down in a box and see
1: their child. That's what I call them. That's my child that's laying down in this box. You know, living in Compton, especially um, if you just don't have to be gang-affiliated, it comes with the territory. It can happen. That's the highs and lows of being educators in Compton when, when you are... Um, Involved in these kids' lives.
3: He had a boombox at his house with the tape in it and everything. He hooked it up to the computer, computer microphone, started recording whole mixtapes on it. It was like once he found that, he never stopped.
0: After they wrote those first raps, Cannon says, Kendrick kept on writing and started making actual songs.
3: He got really good really fast, I will say. I started to be like, dang, what is he doing at home? You feel me? Like, he got really good really fast. It was, it was weird how it just—it was like it was just—it was something um definitely divine.
0: For Kendrick, writing raps wasn't just a hobby or a pastime. In some ways, he was answering a call. He said that hearing DMX's first album, It's Dark and Hell is Hot, made him start writing raps— but he got into DMX only after the death of the first rapper he idolized.
4: So the story goes that he was, you know, at the swap meet with his dad and when Tupac and Dr. Dre were filming the video for California Love um, and how that sort of implanted in him the idea that he could be a rapper.
0: Here's Syracuse University professor and Pitchfork contributing editor Rawia Khmer.
4: Then a few years later, after he's coming out of his mixtape era, he shares that he had a dream where he was visited by Tupac. Um, And Tupac essentially told him, you know, keep my lineage going. Keep Keep doing what you're doing. Keep representing my legacy. And that in itself is, you know, that's not an entirely new sort of dynamic in the context of the Black prophetic tradition, especially in music. So you have, you know, D'Angelo saying that when he was at Electric Lady, he was visited by Jimi Hendrix and Marvin Gaye. So the idea that Kendrick is invoking someone who came um, before him isn't entirely surprising.
5: How he was representing people,
0: it reminded me of Pac, but in a different light, like from Section 80. This is Terrence Henderson, better known as Punch. He signed Kendrick to the independent label Top Dog Entertainment in 2003 and released Kendrick's first official album, Section 80, in 2011.
5: He grabbed the youth at that point. He was talking about what the youth was talking about. And then uh, the whole West Coast connection, how Tupac represented the West Coast so hard before he passed. And then Kendrick seeing Tupac at the California Love video when he was a little, little kid on his, on his Pop's shoulders. Like, it was just all full circle moments. And I felt like nobody was filling that void that, uh, that Pac had or anything close to it since he passed. So it just all made perfect sense to me.
0: Kendrick hadn't spent much time outside of Compton until his career took off and he started touring. His sense of responsibility to the city and his homesickness for it are a huge part of the story he's telling on To Butterfly. But the album is also about Kendrick's experiences as a young traveler and how those experiences redefined his relationship to the city that made him.
5: I feel like it started once he went to Africa.
0: Punch from TDE again.
5: He went to Africa and was out there. And it changed his perspective on a lot of different things. And you can see that influence into To Butterfly. Even the records, like, they had heavy... African drum influence and doing the whole thing to the point where I had to remind him, like, yo, you went to Africa. Your whole audience didn't go to Africa. So we should probably scale it back just a little bit so we won't lose everybody.
6: It was vital. I don't think
0: the album even would have been what it would have been if he didn't go get that experience. This is Kendrick's business partner and right-hand man, Dave Free. He set up the tour that took Kendrick to 3 cities in South Africa. When we were booking the show, I was I was scared for
6: him. We didn't know we wasn't informed on Africa like that much. All my prior information from Africa was another rapper telling me about his experience and telling me how they were how dangerous it was and how they only seen Africa from the hotel and and then we knew what the world taught us in America the western westernized culture about what Africa is and how they like played it to like hey you know they they just they destroyed the fabric of it in your mind
0: one night kendrick calls dave on the other side of the world and he called me one night he's like bro
6: i just went through a village he's like dog i took my shirt off <laughs> he was like i took my shirt off and i was just with the people he was like and we they were just hugging me they were just hugging me and they were just loving me And he's like, I never felt love like that. Like, I never felt like that much love
0: in one place. Like, just love. Like, the energy of that. So maybe that's how To Pimp a Butterfly starts. With Kendrick on the phone. Yanked out of one reality. Surrounded by strangers whose presence feels like home. Bubbling with epiphanies. Trying to put it all into words. Kendrick's longtime producer Soundwave remembers having a similar conversation with Kendrick. About an experience that Kendrick would later rap about on To Pimp a Butterfly on the album closing epic, Mortal Man.
5: He was like, bro, I just sat in Nelson Mandela's cell and the feeling that I have right now is just unmatched. I can't even describe it. And I remember him saying that, I was like, I don't know what that means, but I get where
7: you're coming from.
0: The Big Hit Show is brought to you by Athletic Greens. With one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, and probiotics to help you start your day right. Taking AG1 is a micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. All you have to do is put one scoop of AG1 in your water, shake it up, and you're good to go. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash thebighitshow. That's it. No need for tons of different pills and supplements to look out for your health. That's athleticgreens.com slash thebighitshow.
8: We got arrested in our teenage years multiple times. We had friends and comrades dying from police bullets.
0: This is the human rights activist Kumi Naidu. He was born in Durban in 1965, and by the time he was 15 years old, he would joined the battle against apartheid. He later became the Secretary General of Amnesty International and the International
8: Executive Director of Greenpeace. You know, virtually every other weekend we were attending funerals. Now that I think about it, it is kind of weird that we had to endure that. But it almost felt normal, to be honest, because it was happening to so many people who had made the decision to get involved in the struggle to liberate South Africa from the apartheid system. In everything we did, Mandela was in our arts and minds and... We started learning songs with Mandela's name, you know, like there was one song which went, Mandela, with to some Mandela, you know, that we'll follow Mandela and virtually every liberation song basically had Mandela's name in it. Nelson Mandela was a Johannesburg
0: attorney who joined the political party known as the African National Congress in 1944. He'd risen to a leadership position within the group by 1960 when the South African governor general outlawed the ANC. Two years later, he was arrested for inciting workers' strikes and leaving the country illegally to speak at a conference in Ethiopia. Mandela was tried for planning acts of sabotage, which he admitted to, and conspiracy to overthrow the government, which he denied. In April, 1964, he stood in the dock in a courtroom in the South African capital city of Pretoria and delivered a statement to the court. This is how it ended. I have cherished the idea of a democratic
5: and free society in which all persons will live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an idea for which I hope to live for. And to see, realized, but my Lord, if it needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared
0: to die. Mandela and his seven co-defendants were found guilty, and Mandela was sentenced to life in prison.
8: I got involved in the liberation struggle at the age of 15. It was not unique at all. Kumi Naidu again. There were many, many people of that age, including people younger than me. And our parents had warned us for years before that if you get involved in the political struggle for freedom, you'll end up on Robben Island with Mandela. That was like what you get told. And if you get to Robben Island, you'll never be able to get off there because... It's surrounded by shark-infested waters.
0: Robben Island is located a little over four miles off the western coast of South Africa. It's about a mile wide and sits only a few feet above sea level. Mandela was one of nearly 3,000 prisoners who served time there during apartheid. He arrived in 1964 and spent his days breaking rocks in a lime quarry, where the sunlight glaring off the white rock permanently damaged his eyesight. This is how Mandela described his experience to the BBC in 1994.
9: What was important was the fact that the ideas for which we were sent to Robben Island would never die. And uh, we were therefore able uh, to go through some of the harshest experiences which uh, a a human being uh,
0: can have behind bars. Mandela spent 18 years on Robben Island. His correspondence was limited and closely monitored. He was allowed to spend only 30 minutes with one visitor each year. And yet, in isolation, sentenced to live out his life in a 9x7 concrete box, he remained an inspiration and a leader.
8: For many of my African American friends who have been to South Africa, of course, Visiting Robben Island is a has has to do. It's not an optional thing, right? Uh, And people cry. People cry when they go there, right? When they think that as talented and as compassionate and as great a human being that Mandela, Walter Sisulu, Govan Mbeki, and many of our other leaders were, right? Uh, They cry to think that so much of their lives were just taken away from them.
0: In 2014, during that tour of South Africa, Kendrick Lamar visited Robben Island and stood in Mandela's former cell.
7: I remember going inside that cell and, you know, the way I felt and how humble I was, you know, knowing that this man that was fighting for equality served 27 years, 18 years in that small little cell, but still kept his mental capacity and still kept his integrity and his enthusiasm to motivate not only himself, but the people around him, it inspired me
9: 100%. It makes you realize, oh, this, this isn't an abstraction, being in a cell like this for year after year after year after
0: year. This is the lived experience. Former U.S. President Barack Obama visited Mandela's cell for the first time in 2006 when he was still the junior senator from the state of Illinois. And our tour guide
9: was a, a South African of Indian extraction who had been one of Mandela's key allies. And he gave us the tour. He's now passed away. But what he also told me was something that uh, I never forgot, He's, he, and you didn't think of. I said, what was the hardest thing about being there? And did you speak to him? Madiva about what he found hardest and he said uh, yeah we agreed the single hardest thing was we never saw a child. He said the single most important thing was the moment when Mandela saw somebody else's child and picked him up and hugged him and smelled him and, and he said everybody started tearing up because they you know, you think about what it would be like for twenty years not to see a child of any sort. You just don't see him, and what that would mean. Because he didn't see his family, he didn't see his children, he didn't see his grandchildren. Um, it 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 was a reminder not only of the sacrifice he made and the strength, you know, almost superhuman strength he found, but it was also a reminder of the things that we take for granted.
0: Kendrick Lamar is not a civil rights leader, and he's never presented himself as such. But ever since Good Kid, Mad City, an album that showcased his ability to synthesize complex ideas and speak compellingly and credibly to a lot of different kinds of people, he's lived with the expectation that he'll become that kind of leader. And on To Pimp a Butterfly, he's wrestling with that with what it means to make art and live a life when leadership is what people want from you. When Mandela's name comes up on the album, it's in the context of Kendrick wondering if the people looking to him for leadership really believe in him the way black South Africans believed in Mandela. He's openly conflicted about it and wonders if he himself can ever live up to that example. The questions Robin Island raises for anyone are what do you believe and what are you willing to endure for what you believe? If you want to change the world, what is that worth to you? What is the ideal for which you're prepared to die in a concrete box or a limestone pit? If To Pimp a Butterfly tells us anything, it's that Kendrick doesn't come back from South Africa with the answers to any of those questions but he'd continue to process the South Africa experience in songs he'd write and record in the months to come. We'll be talking later in this series about the song Mortal Man, the last song on the album, where Kendrick invokes Mandela by name. But Kendrick's time in South Africa also directly informs other songs on the album. The beginning of the song How Much a Dollar Cost is one of the rare moments where this dense and sometimes overwhelmingly intense album seems to pause for breath and regroup. For just under 10 seconds, all you hear is an acoustic bass, piano, and a mournful horn line. What you feel is an anxious solemnity, connecting the dots between John Coltrane and Radiohead's Pyramid Song. It's a moment that tells us we're about to be told a story. How much a dollar cost is based on an actual incident that took place during the South Africa tour. A guy approaches Kendrick at a gas station and asks him for 10 rand, which in 2014 was about $1 American.
10: Walked out the gas station, a homeless man with a 70 tan complexion, asked me what 10 ran, stressing about dry land, deep water powder, blue guys that crack open, a piece of crack that he wanted, I knew he was smoking, he begged and pleaded, asked me to feed him twice, I didn't believe it, told him beat it, contributed money just for his pipe, I couldn't see it, he said my son, temptation is one thing that I've defeated, listen to me, I want a single bill from you, nothing less, nothing more, I told him I didn't have it, then close my door, tell me how much a dollar cost.
0: It's really a parable. Kendrick plays the arrogant star who won't share his riches, and then the homeless man reveals who he really is. I
10: lack empathy. He looked at me and said, Your potential is bittersweet. I looked at him and said, was Nicholas, to keep. He looked at me and said, Know the truth, it'll set you free. You're looking at the Messiah, the Son of Jehovah, the higher power, the choir that spoke the word, the Holy Spirit, the nerve of Nazareth, and I tell you just how much a dollar cost. The price of happiness in in heaven, embrace your loss. I am God. My hands.
0: That last line is God telling Kendrick, Hey, that dollar you held on to because you saw me as a hustler looking for crack money, this is what it costs you to keep it. It costs you heaven. It costs you everything. Outside a gas station, in another country, on another continent, Kendrick has this encounter, and whether God really made an appearance or not, when Kendrick goes to make this album, he will come back over and over to the questions that moment raised, which, as it happens, are as old as the Gospel of Mark. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world, but lose his soul?
5: I wash my hands, I said my grace, what more do you want from me? Tears of a cloud, guess I'm not all what it's meant to be. Shades of gray will never change if I condone this page, me change to write my
8: own. I'm not surprised at all about the journey that Kendrick Lamar went through when he came here. South African activist Kumi Naidu again. Because by the time he comes here, he's already an established musician, He's doing pretty well and he's not having to worry about poverty anymore, right? And I can imagine him seeing the levels of poverty in a free and democratic South Africa must have been a source of deep disappointment, deep sadness, to see even though after everything we supposedly want our struggle, I got to tell you that... By the time he came, smart as he is, he would have figured out, "Hey, things are not as good as it should be here, right? That why is it that people are suffering so much in such large numbers and and and, and levels of poverty that he would not have seen in uh, in Los Angeles, you
7: know." And I. Uh... I kind of took that experience and looked within myself from my own experiences. Okay, I, I come from a, a background of a neighborhood that wasn't so much perceived to be great, but I can't let these four corners define who I am or define who my homeboys are. You know, So I took that experience, man, and the whole concept about To Pimp a Butterfly was to share that experience with them. Go back to Compton and tell them what I've learned. You know, it was me explaining my experiences and what emotions they've brought up from that experience. And tell them, like, yo, it's something bigger than Compton and where we're from.
2: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. State Farm can insure your home and car with surprisingly great rates. Because you don't have to give up what you love for great insurance. They've got options. Like personalizing your policy with options to help you get a surprisingly great rate. For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today.
0: By the time he was 25, Kendrick's art had taken him very far from Compton. There are a hundred million rap songs about what this experience feels like. Making it out of the hood and celebrating that fact is a standard poetic framework in this music, as is avowing that you will never leave the hood, and celebrating that. But on to Pimp a Butterfly, Kendrick finds a different way to tell that archetypal story. It happens on the song Mama, which consists of three verses, each of which ends with the word home. Which home he's talking about, Compton, or the continent of Africa as a more symbolic spiritual homeland, remains ambiguous, as writer Rawia Khmer points out.
4: You think that he's talking, and he is on some level talking about being back in Compton and sort of interacting with his place of origin, but you also know that home here also represents Africa, right? Which he would not have been able to visit without rap. So even though the references aren't always very literal, he's definitely thinking about, or it appears as though he's thinking about all of those connections, even when it's easy to gloss over.
0: Mama is another To Pimp a Butterfly song touched indirectly by the presence of one of Kendrick's musical elders. The
11: story behind that song is that I was working on an album called Self-Portrait, and I had a dream wherein my dad was on a commercial.
0: This is the singer and songwriter Layla Hathaway. Her dad was Donnie Hathaway the soul music legend whose career was cut short in 1979 when he died by suicide at the age of 33. And my dad's been
11: gone for 42 years, and I very rarely dream about him. But in this commercial, it was like one of those Ronco commercials where there was an album spinning, and you can, you can buy this record for one penny, you know. And the record was spinning, and his, his face was on the label copy And he was saying, you can make it on your own. And the record was spinning away. And it went away. And I woke up like, and that day I wrote that song. If you were meant to be together, then you would know that it's right.
0: Layla's On Your Own comes out in 2008, and then some years later, the L.A. producer Knowledge weaves a snippet of it through a hazy instrumental called Sort, which Kendrick and his team turn into the foundation for the song Mama. I
7: thought, that's
11: tight you know it i'm i'm always interested to see how people flip things and um it's so cool to me the way we reinterpret music and interpolate music and you know flip it on its you know it's it's, it's fascinating to me so uh, i was honored but i know that my voice is part of the connective tissue of that record and so i'm
0: proud The song Mama itself is about having things you've never had before and feeling like you know things that no one else knows. And then, as in how much a dollar cost, Kendrick conjures a character who pulls the rug out on him. In this case, it's a kid with an afro and a gap-toothed smile who Kendrick tells us could be a young Kendrick. And this kid sees right through Kendrick the Superstar, Kendrick the Anointed One. He calls him on his bullshit which, since it's Kendrick writing this, means it's another song where Kendrick calls Kendrick on his bullshit. He says, quote, I feel bad for you. Your life is full of turmoil.
10: I met a little boy that resembled my features Nappy afro gap in a smile Hand me down sneakers bounced through the crowd Running number home men and women that crossed them Sun beaming on his beady exhausted Tossing footballs with his ashy black ankles Breaking new laws mama passed on home training he looked at me and said, Kendrick, you do know my language. You just forgot because of what public schools have painted. Oh, I forgot. Don't kill my vibe. That's right. You're famous. I used to watch your Channel 5. TV was taken. But never mind, you're here right now, don't you mistake it, it's just a new trip Take a glimpse of your family ancestor, make a new list Of everything you thought was progress and that was bullshit I know your life is full of turmoil, you spoiled by fantasies of who you are I feel bad for you, I can attempt to enlighten you without frightening you If you resist, I back off quick, go catch a flight or two But if you pick destiny, hover, rest in peace Then be an
0: advocate, tell your homies especially to come back home Basically, he's saying, sure, you might be rich and you might know something you didn't used to know, but it doesn't matter if you don't take what you've learned out here and bring it back to Compton. He's saying, be a leader or else none of this means anything.
4: I think what happens for a lot of people, regardless of where they're from, is that when they go somewhere else, the world all of a sudden seems bigger, right? Your place in the world is put into a little bit more
0: context. Writer Rawia Khmer again.
4: And in Kendrick's case, as someone coming from Compton, and as he describes it, Compton, USA, um, going to South Africa is sort of an entry point into understanding anti-blackness as as part of a global colonial project, right? And not just a distinctly American thing. Although we know anti-blackness plays out in America in very specific ways that are then exported. But It seems that what happens in South Africa for him is that he's sort of recommitting himself to the idea of being a leader and doing the right thing and being a truth teller as opposed to simply an opportunist. And I I think that divide fundamentally is where he enters um, the album, conceptually speaking. So I think there is something about sort of going full circle there That, for Kendrick, leads him to think about his place as a leader and his responsibilities as a leader in a slightly bigger way.
0: You can't show people the view from Robben Island, but you can tell people what it felt like for you to walk in Mandela's footsteps. And maybe they imagine doing it themselves one day. Maybe they believe that there's more to the world than what they can see and that there's a home for them in it. Sometimes that's all a leader has to do, is point the way.
1: I just think it's it's the evolution of what he has become. I feel like, you know, leadership, we all have it in us. Uh, it's just how we cultivate it. Kendrick's middle school English teacher, Regis Inge. I think he discovered as he got older and as his lyrics uh, became to be inspirational, he, he took that and uh, became a leader. He probably didn't think that when he was in the seventh grade when I had him. But you know, sometimes we always say leaders are born, but sometimes it just takes time. It takes time for the leadership to come out. So you see, how, you see, it's the ripple effect that you can have when you're on that platform. So the platform, the platform is not for everyone. So it's just a lot. It's just a lot of the teacher, just like me. I have a responsibility in here. Kendrick has a responsibility out there. We, we're working together here. If Kendrick pours into the fans, the people who listen to his music. Then they are less susceptible to go and not try to evolve and not try to do better. You see, it's the the same thing. Man, we're waiting for Kendrick. We're waiting for Kendrick. People are really waiting for him to tell them something. That's power for as long as you use it right. Gotta use it right.
3: I went to jail for two years, and when I was in there, me and Kendrick wrote back
0: and forth. Cannon, Kendrick's friend from middle school, went on to a rap career of his own. His 2013 mixtape, Old School New Sense, features a guest verse from Kendrick. But before that, Cannon was locked up for a few years, and he watched Kendrick's rise from that perspective.
3: He wrote me one time and told me that he was going to go meet Jay-Z, and he was basically thanking me because he was like, you told me I was the shit when I barely believed in myself. You feel me? And now we here, we up. You feel me? like And that I remember being in jail, literally, like tirelessly waiting to
0: hear him on the radio. So Cannon waited, because that's what you do in jail. And sometimes he'd talk to people about his friend Kendrick from back home, who he knew was going to be something. Years later, Kendrick would say he'd written certain songs thinking of guys in the penitentiary hoping to remind them of the same thing that Mandela's example teaches, that imprisonment is only physical, that they can't jail your mind. For Cannon, in this period of his life, just the idea that Kendrick was out there, about to make it, was a source of hope and strength.
3: So I was like, just listen to Ray, I was like, I know he's gonna be on the radio, I could just feel it in my
0: bones. And then one day, it happened
3: he was on there doing a freaking interview and I caught it. Sure enough, somebody was interviewing him and he played one of his songs and everything and I was like, I told y'all! Like, nobody wanted to believe me. Each project, we always have a long conversation. So I guess this is me and Kendrick having another conversation right now.
0: (laughs) Next time on The Big Hit Show... Oh, we fucking with that sound? Yeah, we can do that. Nigga, you know, ain't no restrictions here. Ain't no restrictions artistically here. Kendrick gets down to business in the studio with an all-star band of very enthusiastic collaborators. They had to take the Red Bull, the Red Bull fridge out of the studio. <laughs> Turning into supersonic <laughs> drinking Red Bulls. Life in a creative bubble gets extremely funky. We sent their runner to get us underwear. The regular neighbor heard that. I was like, bro, you
5: can't do that. No, they're only there supposed to get you food. It's like,
0: there's food at Target, so why can't he just pick up some underwears on the way back? And the spirit of jazz lives in Santa Monica.
8: I just heard Kendrick as as a saxophone. So I, I was just comping like I would if Kendrick was a saxophone. Not like he was a rapper, but like he was a saxophone.
0: From Higher Ground, this is The Big Hit Show. It's written and hosted by me, Alex Papadimus, and produced by Western Sound. Colin McNulty is our showrunner. Producers are Taylor Jones and Sabrina Fang. Our production assistant is Stella Hartman. Alex McGinnis is our composer, sound designer, and mix engineer. Savannah Wright is our fact checker. Studio direction and theme music by Dan Leone. The executive producer is Ben Adair. Executive Producers for Higher Ground are Dan Fearman, Anna Holmes, Mukta Mohan, and Janae Marable. Jen 11 is our Editorial Assistant. Executive Producers for Spotify are Daniel Eck, Don Ostroff, Julie McNamara, and Corinne Gilliard. Music Licensing by Search Party Music. Special thanks to Joe Paulson and Eric Spiegelman.
9: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.